Great to see you. You know, being a fashion guru is a very difficult thing. Hence the blue suede shoes. Hey, great to see you. Uh, wonderful to be home again. Uh, last weekend I was worshipping Jesus with 7,000 people in England in the rain, because it's England. And uh, great to be back here in Colorado for this Labor Day weekend. I haven't got a clue what Labor Day is, but I like it. <laughs> you already heard about Pastor Rick, and I want to just come behind that announcement. They, Rick, Pastor Rick is doing an amazing job among the wonderful women and men who serve us in law enforcement in this area who face many, many challenges and really need pastoral care and support. So please stop by the table on the way out and check out what they're doing. Also, just to say, next weekend we start our uh, Catching the Wind series. 13 weekends uh, working through the book of Acts. And the very best way to navigate that is to join a small group. And so if you haven't already done that, uh, look in your bulletin and there's instructions there about uh, how you get onto the website to see which groups are available and then how to sign up. And then finally, before we jump into this, some of you know that Kay and I, my wife and I, are leading another tour to London and the Holy Land next February. It is February 14 through 26. Uh, It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, We've already had a meeting about it and uh, we are definitely going And we just have a few places left available now. It's filling up and we will be closing that off. So uh, there's information at guest services and then uh, I'll be at the back there as well after the service. If you're thinking about going, please book quickly. Uh, If you haven't thought about it before, then do consider it. It, uh, It's going to be life-changing and it's also going to be fun. How many believe in fun? How many believe in fun before death? It's a good idea. We're going to have some fun. We're going to think about fear today. You've already been hearing about that. And I want to read to you, if I may, from Second Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles 20, the title of this message is No Fear. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Mayunites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress. You will hear us and save us. Now look at verse 13. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, whose uh, genealogical details are well listed here in this particular passage. As he stood 
in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who lived in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You need not, you do not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And as they began, verse 22, to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. It happened 30 years ago when Kay and I, uh, together with our two young children, then five and two, located, relocated from England to live in America, to live in southern Oregon. We had our, we had our resident alien cards. We are resident aliens. Nanu, Nanu. And everything was different in southern Oregon. Uh, I've talked endlessly before here about, you know, we're driving on the wrong side of the road and the, and the money's different. And, and, and everyone in that town, I think, they all went hunting and they all, they all had trucks. I didn't have a trunk, a, tr- a trunk, a truck. <laughs> and uh, I would never be any good at hunting. You'd hear the deer laughing in the woods. So... That wouldn't work. And, and we had a house, we had a little house with a wood stove and the wood stove heated the whole house. Now, now I'm from Britain and we're civilised. I'm kidding, but I was used to just pressing a button and the heating came on. But now, no. We have a wood stove. And what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is I have to chop wood. How many know that me and an axe, it's not going to go well, baby. Well, we're there, everything's different, a bit confused. It's our first Christmas, the snow is on the ground. And Kay developed a few health symptoms. We went to see the doctor and his face looked solemn. And he said, you know, this may be nothing, it may be something very serious. There's a 30% chance that if this is what I fear it might be, he said, you guys, he said, you don't have health insurance, do you? You need to go back to England because this is going to be a big deal. He said, but we don't know. We'll take tests and we'll let you know after Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I came out of the clinic and I'd like to tell you that I was full of courage and faith. But I felt like I got mugged by this suffocating blanket of fear. And my mind circled all of the possibilities and zoomed in on the worst one. I was afraid. So that night, we ran out of wood, and Kay said, get thee hence and get some wood. And I normally took a long time because I just couldn't actually hit the wood with the axe. So I said, okay, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'll, uh... I went outside, I put a piece of wood on the chopping block, and in my mind I thought, I'm going to treat that wood like it's my fear. I took the axe. I looked at the wood kind of mean, which is weird, but I did. And I chopped, I first, first strike, chopped that log right in half, baby. I'm excited. I pick up another piece of wood. And as I swing the axe, I yell out at the top of my voice, I'm standing firm. Now I'm getting excited. I'm thinking, I'm really hoping my wife is looking out of the window right now. 
I was afraid and I was trying to stand firm. In biblical history, actually, actually 2,800 years ago, there's a king. His name is Jehoshaphat. He's mostly a good king. Few disastrous decisions, but he did really well. He eradicated pagan worship from the nation. He reorganized the legal system, set up a supreme court in Jerusalem. The Bible says of him that he sought the Lord with all his heart. But now he's afraid, and it it really doesn't quite communicate how afraid. It, It says here, it says, Jehoshaphat was alarmed. It sounds like a British chap has written that, doesn't it? Hello, Jehoshaphat, how are you today? You're feeling rather alarmed, upper left eyebrow raised, slight look of consternation on face. I'd love to demonstrate that to you, but I don't have the facial control to be able to do that. The word here, alarmed, it comes from the Hebrew word, yara, which means to tremble. This guy is very, very afraid, and God steps in. There are people in this building today, we're really afraid. What am I going to do in the next few minutes? What I am not going to do, brothers and sisters, is give you five ways to get out of fear, beginning with the same letter. Because actually, if it was that easy, we wouldn't have any trouble with it. What I do want to do is explore this text to see what we can learn. So let's, let's jump into this. If you're following in the bulletin, here's the bad news first. Here we go. Yes, life is terrifying. I can see some of you are thinking, is this supposed to help us? Life is terrifying. Verse 2, a vast army is coming against you. If you look elsewhere in Chronicles, you'll see that Jehoshaphat had 1.16 million soldiers in his army. So he's got resources. But he realizes that he is overwhelmed. He's afraid. Isn't it true, friends, that It's pretty easy to be afraid these days. The modernist myth, the modernist myth that we can control everything, whatever challenges we face, we can take care of them. I'm really sorry, people. It's a myth. And the reality is that there's plenty of scope for fear. Fear is a weapon of mass destruction. We fear life. We fear death. We fear what is. We fear what is not. We fear what might possibly be. Fear pushes us around, shoving us to make panic decisions when we should pause and reflect. Fear robs us of sleep, blights our waking. Some of us are afraid of intimacy, embarrassment, rejection, heights, clowns, failing, spiders, snakes. Plenty of room for fear. I've been battling it myself. I didn't want to tell you that. I wanted to stand up here and tell you that I have really reached a place of triumph in this. And I know when I go out of here, when we finish this service at 4 p.m. today, (laughs) see mass fear just hit the congregation right there. When I go home today, I know what's going to happen. I know it because it happened last night when I finished preaching here last night. I'm going to go, why did I tell them that? Because sometimes you just... I've been afraid the last couple of weeks. Some of you are going, you're a pastor. Okay, I have pastoral fear. I have this tinnitus thing, or tinnitus. I don't care how you pronounce it. You say tomato, we say tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. doesn't matter. 
how you pronounce it. I've got this ringing in my ears. I've had it for 18 months. It's a mosquito with cowboy boots. 10% of the population have it compared to what you're navigating your way through. It's nothing. It's driving me crazy. I can hear it now. Mosquito is there. And when I go to bed tonight, the mosquito turns the volume up. The mosquito says, ha, ah, he's going to try and sleep. I've been afraid. Here's how the fear goes. It's going to get louder. It's going to get louder. I'm going to go crazy. And I got out of bed sometimes. Forgive the self-disclosure. I just need you to know I'm in it. I'm in this. And sometimes I get up and I pace around the room and I want to smack my head against the wall just to get rid of the mosquito who is trapped inside my head with me. Is he going to be with me always? I want to swap that thing. Fear. Because of fear, nations go to war, stock markets tumble, businesses collapse. It's life's only true opponent, says Jan Martel in Life of Pi. The media feed it. The stock market has a pretty turbulent couple of weeks these last couple of weeks and suddenly we hear about Black Monday, the great fall of China. And evil men dress hapless victims in orange jumpsuits and in HD quality video they film their demise. Why do they do that? Because they want you and me to be very, very afraid. It's about fear. Can I ask this question? What terrorizes you? What terrorizes you? You say, Jeff, we didn't come to church to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, they, they were told, go out and face the enemy. We don't get through fear by pretending it doesn't exist. What terrorizes you? Secondly, let's know this, that fearlessness is a choice. Fearlessness is a choice. Verse 15, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Listen, everybody. This is not advice. This is a command. Do not be afraid. Jesus spoke endlessly about fear. There are 125 commands or references, commands, in the four Gospels that Jesus gave. Do you know how many of them were about fear? 21. The next closest group, eight times, is love God and love your neighbor. Jesus talked a lot about fear. There's 365 commands to not be afraid in Scripture. He said to his disciples, they're out in a boat, there's a big storm, he's asleep. He wakes up and he says to them, why are you afraid? I mean, if I'd have been there, I'd have said, that's like saying, why are you wet? Here's a thought, please get this. If Scripture, Jesus specifically says, do not be afraid, can I postulate this? If he says don't be afraid, surely that indicates that it is possible for us, therefore, to not be afraid. That we don't have to surrender to it as being inevitable. We don't have to say, it's just my disposition, it's just the way I am, it will always be. We can choose. And actually, of course, it's a series of choices, isn't it? How many of you got cruise control? Anyone got cruise control here? I love cruise control. I get to a 50 mile an hour limit. I don't have to worry about it. I get my 
speedometer to 49. I press the cruise control and cruise. I love it. I want that for my life. I want to be able to make a choice that will last forever. I want to be able to say, I will love eating broccoli. I want to be able to say, once and for all, I will not be lured by the delicious aroma of pepperoni pizza. Doesn't work that way, does it? Anyone who's done a diet knows that it's not a choice, it's a thousand choices. Each time you smell that smell, to hear the voice that says, step away from the pizza. Choices. A series of choices, but fearlessness comes from choice. Here's a question. Have you, have I, surrendered to fear as inevitable? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Thirdly, let's know the power of togetherness. Let's know the power of togetherness. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. They did this together and they fasted and prayed. Let me ask you a question. You're all very quiet this morning. Are you you listening intently? (laughs) How many of you have ever fasted? Ever fasted? Raise your hand if you've ever fasted. How many of you liked it? I've done it. I, I hate it. I think it's a spelling mistake. I think it's feast and pray. Yes, I'm praying. Pass me another cheeseburger, honey. Some of you looking upset. I'm joking. Just joking. But the point is that actually they came together. They fasted. They prayed. They did this together. And look at this. They sang songs on the battlefield. How crazy is that? One of the things I love about our worship here in Timberline is that our worship leaders, they encourage us to worship, but they don't act like cheerleaders. Have you ever been to a church service where the worship leader is a bionically happy person? And they want, they insist that you be happy. Is everyone happy? Yes! Is everyone thrilled? Amen! Is everyone on the edge of total ecstasy? Hallelujah! Every now and again, subversive that I am, I want to shout out, No! Ladies and gentlemen, when we go through that kind of theatrical performance, what we are saying is that worship is an expression of mood. It is not. Worship is an expression of truth. You don't have to feel like it to worship. In fact, so often what will happen is that as you worship, your feelings may change. They may not. You don't worship because you feel like it or because you're not afraid. I think they sang on the battlefield because they were very much afraid. I think that Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they sang hymns at midnight, not because they weren't afraid, but possibly because they were. Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of fear, but triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers the fear together. That's why church, that's why church matters. That's why worship matters. That's why opening the book and praying our prayers, it matters. We conquer fear together. Fourthly, number four, let's be strengthened in our history. Be strengthened by your history. Oh, our God, verse seven, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Please notice that this prayer is not just a random prayer, it's a history lesson. This prayer echoes the prayer 
of Second Chronicles 6 when the temple was dedicated. This prayer recites the words of Exodus 14 when famously Moses stood before the pursuing Egyptians and said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. This prayer in Second Chronicles 20 refers to Solomon and David and Joshua and Abraham. It's a history lesson. But please see this. As they remember what God has done, so they are strengthened for what God will do. Last week in England, I went camping with a tent. This is not the will of God for my life. I've not been camping for 30 years, but there was one factor that made all the difference. Grandchildren. The grandson said, Grandad, Grandma, would you like to come camping with us? What indescribable delight, cried I. (laughs) My nose growing in the process. They went, they planned three nights, we decided to go for one. We went for the first night. It was a lovely evening. We sat around the campfire. We slept, six of us, in a tent and a dog. And we slept that night, deep, peaceful sleep for 48 seconds. <laughs> we woke up the next morning. It's pouring with rain. We put a tarpaulin out. And we sit in the woods for four hours while it poured with rain with those chocolatey, biscuity things that you cremate. You know what I'm talking about? S'mores. S'mores. It's a great sounding word, isn't it? S'mores. Do you know what? It's pouring with rain. We're sitting under a tarpaulin. It was great. I loved it. I loved it. And I thought, it's time for a shower. They have an open-air shower. What joy, I cried. I go over to the open-air shower, and there's my son-in-law, Ben, chatting with the manager of the campsite. An elderly, sort of hippie-type chap with dreadlocks and so many tattoos, there's no flesh left. Really lovely guy who uh, is really searching for truth. He's chatting with my son-in-law. And I join in the conversation, and he tells me that he believes in the fairies in the woods. He said, I often walk through the woods and I, he said, completely, they just run up and they jump on my shoulder and they giggle in my ear. Ah, oh, good, I said. I'm thinking, you should come to Colorado where there are people who think that too because of what they're smoking. <laughs> and then he said, I also believe that we were planted here by intergalactic visitors who came to this planet millions of years ago and left seeds. Ah, I said. And by the way, I'm laughing about it. I'm not laughing at him. In fact, I didn't say, what you need is the truth. What I said was, can I congratulate you? I said, because you're searching for truth. That's so encouraging that you are thinking about the meaning of life. Well done. I said, I'm a minister. And his face suddenly, I thought his head was going to explode. (laughs) I I said, do you mind if I just tell you what Jesus has done for me? And I told him about how I'd got supernaturally instantly healed and how within eight hours I'd become a Christian as a 17-year-old. And his eyes got big. 
But as I walked over to the open air shower, not only did I hope that he'd been helped, but my own faith was galvanized by the telling and the rehearsing of my story. What is it in your history that you need to bring to your remembrance to help you now? Number five. Number five is, I love this, know that it's okay not to know. Verse 12, here's their prayer. They say, we do not know what to do. I love that. You're never going to see that on a magnet on a Christian refrigerator, are you? We do not know what to do. Amen. I think it's liberating. I think it's wonderful. Because when I first became a Christian, I knew everything. I had my spring-loaded answers just ready. Got a question for me? I've got the answer. Forty years later, I know less now than I did then. I'm not arguing against biblical literacy or digging deep in our faith. I'm just saying that faith involves mystery. Trusting when you don't understand. It's okay not to know. It's okay. It's normal to find question marks punctuating the pathway of faith. He said, mixing up a very strange series of metaphors. Question marks are okay. But then look at what they say. They say, our eyes are upon you. I want to say this, check your focus. Check your focus. They don't know what to do, but they say, verse 12, our eyes are upon you. Now hold on a minute. God is invisible, isn't he? So how could they have their eyes on him? Hebrews says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But Jesus is invisible. So how do I look at him? I'll tell you how. Most of our looking and seeing we do with our minds and not with our eyes. Your eyes just give you the data about what is physically in front of you. So look at me right now. Don't look, if, you, if you normally look at the screen, just look at me right now. And if you're watching this in one of the overflow venues, then look at the screen, because I'm not in there. <laughs> what, do you, what do you see? What do you see? I, I know you see a, a fashion guru. But you see, most of your seeing is not done with your eyes. It's done with your mind. You see, right now, right now, at this precise moment, there's... There's seven or eight hundred conversations going on inside people's minds. What are we going to have for lunch? It's going to be pizza again. Where's the kids doing? I'm not going to pay that bill this week. When is he going to get done? It's called the internal dialogue. It's happening all the time. That's how we see. We're having a conversation within ourselves, right? And here's what happens. When we talk mentally, guess what? We don't only talk mentally, we listen to our own conversation. Repetition enforces the power of it. And then because it's us doing the thinking, we trust us, we generally think that we're right. You know what we need to start doing? We need to start talking to ourselves. Talking to yourself is not the first sign of madness, it's the first sign of spiritual sanity. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Sometimes, to use the language of 2 Corinthians, 
We need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Not sometimes, actually, all the time. You don't have to be at the mercy of those thoughts that fly around your brain. Here's what happens. Fear lays railroad tracks in your head. Along those railroad tracks runs the train of thought. When you're weary and tired, you slip into that train, you ride that train without even consciously thinking about it. We need to talk to ourselves. In Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, the psalmist talks to himself. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. See, we need to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, Jeffrey? I mean, don't say Jeffrey if it's not your name. That would be weird. (laughs) We need to say, Parson, fill in the blank. Don't you be fearful today. Don't you allow that terror to rule in you. You trust in God. Rather than just being at the mercy of every stray thought. You know what that means sometimes? I've been practicing this lately because it takes practice. Some thoughts we need to review and expel and close the door on them and lock it. So when the thought starts to come up, I've got a couple of trains in my head and for the last month I've been saying, no, the door's shut. No, I'm not even going to ponder that and re-examine the thesis of that. The door's shut. I'm not going there. Our eyes are upon you. You are our focus. Well, the last thing is this, and that is know that you'll never walk alone. Know that you'll never walk alone. Verse 15, the battle is not yours, but God's. This is, first of all, this is not about a life of moralistic sweating, because the Holy Spirit wants to help us to be changed, to be able to deal with the curse of fear. But also, I just want to say this. You're never going to be alone again. I mean, that doesn't mean there won't be any trouble. If Jesus doesn't going to come back, here's the news. We're going to die. The statistics on death are impressive. But here's the news too. You will never, ever be alone again. A few months ago, I think it was in May, eight or nine people were executed in Indonesia by firing squad. Convicted drug smugglers, eight of them had become followers of Jesus, either, I think, while they were in prison. The prison chaplain testified to what I'm about to tell you. They led them out and they refused to take the blindfolds that were offered to them, preferring to die with their eyes open, to stare down the barrels of those guns. By the way, this is not a conversation about capital punishment. That's not the discussion. Don't miss the point here. This is about fear. And before they died, they sang two songs. They sang Amazing Grace. And they sang a song that we often sing here, 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then they were ready. And the shots rang out.
whatever you face. And I look around this room and as a pastor, I would not, dear God, help me. I would not in any way want to try and minimize the fear that you feel and try and somehow bring you a cliche or a slogan but I say this based on the book you'll never be alone again his spirit is within you he is with you May God grant us grace on the battlefield to sing a song not about our circumstances or about how we feel. They sang, give thanks to the Lord forever. His love endures forever. They sang about the love of God. His love for them. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? Is it don't worry, be happy? No, no, no. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? I'll tell you why. I am a child of God. If you're able to, I invite you all to stand with me right now, if you are able. Please stand. And I want to ask us to do a couple of things today. The first thing is this, I want to ask you in a moment to close your eyes and I want you to think about your greatest fear. Because you see, we don't pretend that it's not there, we face it. What are you most afraid of? Let's close our eyes. And think about that for a moment, reflect please. What do we fear? What is it that makes us wake up in the middle of the night sweating? There's the enemy, you see. And you may feel surrounded by it. It's vast. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. 